Um, <laughs> bitch. And I'm honestly asking, what what is this adjective I'm unaware of in this context? <laughs> Hello, Prajamic. Hey. All right, we're um, we're back. I'm uh, buffed and buzzed, and about to be vaxxed and waxed. <laughs> and uh, this week, it's an edition of when three become two. <laughs> Thanks again for a uh, for guest host last week, David Fearman. Yeah, you shall be back by popular demand. It definitely was popular demand because that was our most listened to episode. Um, yeah, which is amazing. Thanks to everyone that tuned in, and um, especially our new listeners that David brought. And I know I'm not packing heat like David, but I hope you'll still keep tuning in. So, yeah, same. I uh, I just I'd never ex- I never thought I'd uh, uh, experience another surge of any kind, and here it was another surge in popularity this time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, you also notice we're gaining more female followers or subscribers. Is that possible? Yeah, we're finally closing the gender gap. Finally, mm-hmm. right um, when we uh, right when we were able to uh, finally close the thigh gap. <laughs> <laughs> the gender gap <laughs> gap followed suit yeah that glass ceiling's being shattered so mm. slay um i will say though i just came back from the gym and for a week now or so it's been a uh a lesson in paranoia for me going to the gym <laughs> because <laughs> um we've been over this you me and uh david but uh, i'll just share this story with our listeners with uh with uh, minor details left out as to not expose the critical story. So I casually went to the gym last week and I uh, was changing the locker room and all of a sudden this like 60 plus something Hasidic guy um, just zips by and starts undressing next to me and at the same time chatting me up, <laughs> uh, which let me just say has never happened to me at the gym ever. No one has ever chatted me up or hit on me at the um, gym. Their loss. Honestly, well, first of all, it's New York Sports Club, and so it's cruisy. not really, it's not really cruisy. It's not very condu- like Is it's it just the not just you know the level of like mold and in the air is not very conducive to any like sexual uh, approach. Yeah, but doesn't stop anyone from the steam room. Yeah, true. Well, also the steam room and the showers have uh, only reopened like a couple of weeks ago after about a year or so. Oh my god. Anyways, he he chats me up. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't take it too seriously. I thought it was just a nice, like, uh, elderly gentleman just striking a conversation. So I go with the flow and I chat with him. Uh, but he just keeps and talk- keeps talking and talking and talking and asks me what I do and what this is and what that is and starts, like, touching my arm tattoos, which is a, <laughs> a step too far, <laughs> if you ask me. Oh. Um, did he ask to touch it or did he just touch it? No, he was just being pushy in a way where I think he like figured out pretty quickly that I'm Israeli or like Jewish. Oh and so, you know, it's like a birds of a feather type of oh like the God. stuff you allow yourself to do. 
Um, so he touches my tattoos, and I just again go with the flow because I just to me it's just like a conversation that was uh was started by this uh older guy. So whatever. Anyways, I managed to get uh, out of his uh out of his hold, and I start working out, and I'm realizing like this guy's like Mona Lisaing me <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like he's doing his like uh Stiesel style like uh <laughs> workout on the treadmill and like following me with his gaze. Oh my god. The, the Hasidic male gaze while I'm on the floor. Um so I finished the workout. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make sure he's still on the treadmill when I go change in the locker room so I can like escape this without him being there. Um, so on my way out, he like catches up to me and chats me up again and like step by step basically comes out to me as, I don't know what level of like homosexual, but like essentially tells me like, oh, you know, I've never dated an Israeli guy in my life. And I'm like, okay, this is weird on a lot of levels because first of all, like this is literally the very first time I've had a conversation with anyone of this level of you know uh practice and belief that's coming out to me i'd like i i yeah. always thought they were just very much on the down low yeah and that's like what's surprising me yeah like basically like russian bathhouse sort of uh living vicariously through other attendees experiences <laughs> am i wrong uh <laughs> <laughs> well, Do I have they... I have seen Hasidic men at the Russian and Turkish baths, which for those of you who don't know is a very traditional old school uh, bathhouse in New York for men and women. But there are days and times that are women only and men only. And I saw two Hasids uh, get it on in the steam room in front of everyone. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was shocking. Are um, you sure they weren't they weren't like Dime Square, like M <laughs> style boys? <laughs> Those locks. Uh no, they were definitely Hasidic. Um they were one of them kept having to push the hair out of his face, uh his locks. Oh my god. Tucking them behind his ears, but you know, all the schwitzing and wetness and it just kept falling in his face and he keeps pulling it back and it was oh a, my god yeah it was a payas situation um i wonder <laughs> if their payas ever get like tangled up in the other guys like crotchers <laughs> but like um just get some bobby pins i mean yeah totally you, you know those those clips that people uh put their keepa on and keep it on with just get those like girl it just tuck it yeah get one of those hair claws um yeah scrunchy even and yeah so that was shocking because that was just like so public and out in the open um at a proper regular schwitz and but i was for a pro thanks for appropriating my culture by the way with your linguistic choices (laughs) like rupaul charles was was it a schlep to get there (laughs) (laughs) it is because it's in an awkward part of the east village so it is a schlep to get there Uh (laughs) uh-huh um so it's shocking and then your story was shocking to me that he had come out to you because like and he was like oh you know there's i 
there's this really good bottle of wine I want to share with you. When's the ne- when do you usually come here? When's the next time you're coming? And I'm like, oh, you know, my ske- my schedule varies, and uh, I'm an artist, so I have a studio practice, and so it's like a you know my schedule just like shifts all the time. Uh, and he was like, oh, okay, you can maybe just give me your phone number, and I'm like, oh no, it's fine, I'll just see you here. Bye. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm I'm also just shocked that. He's like, I've never dated as an Israeli before. Like, he has dated other men. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, a, it's It was just shocking to me on a lot of levels, just yeah. the level of disclosures. Um, so, basically, I should go on a date with him, is what you're saying. Totally. I mean, if I were into that look and was uh, either single or looking, I wouldn't rule it out because he was in fine shape, sort of, for his age. Mm-hmm. Um, he just looked like, who did he look like? Uh, I'm the only, like the only image I'm able to, uh, um, to summon is, uh, and it's not a good comparison at all, is a, uh, Mandy, Mandy Patinkin oh Yentl, <laughs> but Ma- Mandy Patinkin oh and Yentl in the nude looks great. Oh, oh my yeah. God. The reason I'm thinking of Mandy Patinkin is that he looks like like Mandy Patinkin <laughs> now. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I mean, Mandy Patinkin in Yentl does look good. So I would. Oh, he's go he's gorgeous. He's gorgeous in Yentl, and maybe we should unpack that whole movie in a separate yeah. like Patreon episode. Well, some Jews I'm into are like Liev Schreiber. Oh, um, but he's like, there's absolutely nothing Jewish about him. And I also saw him in person once at BAM after a uh, a really bad, a uh, actually it wasn't that bad, but a dance show. Uh-huh. He's very handsome. He's just, yeah. he's so like boxy in a good yeah. way. I mean, he looks very Slavic. Yeah, he um, does. Who else? Harry from Sex and City. Really? Yeah, I'm into that. Um, and then in terms of like um, the orthodoxy, um, Joe Scheftel. Um. <laughs> as as seen on Stiesel season two, just making this up. Um, wait, what about BB? Are you not into BB? No, he's just so like whale-like. Yeah. Well, I guess there's just, uh, you know, there's all those Israeli, like, either politicians or whatever. They're not, they don't have that Jewish, like, look. They're just... Ashkenazi, they're like, yeah, bland like Slavs. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, he yeah. used to be handsome in his 30s. No, no, he was. But I think he's just, he's such a bitch that it's like... <laughs> uh, if he's a bitch, then what is the wife? <laughs> I mean, they both are. We've agendered the word bitch. They're both bitches. <laughs> well, he's just, he's such a cuck, which is insane. And she's clearly the alpha, the alpha <laughs> in the relationship. And she's like dominating the whole state, essentially. God. Um, um, getting getting the Obamas to do her laundry. <laughs> totally. Oh, God. I totally forgot about that. That is so a, uh, that's so bold. Yeah. You go on a state visit and bring your dirty laundry with oh you, literally, not figuratively speaking. Yeah, it's uh, let's just feed the tropes. <laughs> Why don't we? Yeah, um, what are wait, what what tropes exactly? <laughs> you're a bitch. Um, Listen, Pooper Stein. <laughs> uh, 
Um, sorry, we're just coming off the uh, <laughs> the uh, tail end of Independence Day and Holocaust Memorial Day. I just need a moment to recalibrate my the sense of Warsaw, <laughs> The Warsaw Ghetto Uprising anniversary. Which we both <sighs> went to on our trip to uh, Warsaw. Yes, we did. And we saw that piece of the wall. The remaining yeah, and maybe ghetto we, wall. Maybe we can share that uh, photo view with the yarmulke in the old synagogue that I took. Oh, yeah, that was good. I looked really yeah. good with it because it covered up my bald spot, which uh, well, is hello, why it was invented. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a reason to convert to Judaism. <laughs> you know, what do you think those, uh, those, those Hasidic boys on Union Square do? They just approach bald uh, oh non-Jews. They're so skinny. And, uh, they are skinny. They're like dangerously thin. That's like the guy in the Schwitz was so low BMI. It was scary. Yeah. Well, I think their diets are just not very well calibrated. Yeah. And uh, like as opposed to the, it's not Amish. What are those, uh, what denomination uh, hits you up on like different capital cities in the world? Oh, the Mormons? Mormons, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, because like if you compare those two, it's like apples and oranges in terms of like, <laughs> at least the Mormons have like uh, sex appeal. Yeah um schick's appeal <laughs> um yeah and those hasidic boys on union square are really nothing to write home about S- sorry union square uh religious extremists <laughs> it's honestly it's the most disgusting part of town i cannot there's no words for me to describe oh. how much i hate union square <laughs> oh my you know what else disgusting in union square the bathroom at burlington co factory <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, know if you've ever used it. That's a go-to public bathroom at Union Square. If oh, you ever... I just I I oh go to the Whole Foods one or to the Barnes and Noble one, which always has some like oh, yeah. homeless person like giving an abortion, oh having gosh. an abortion. You're it's, terrible. It's, it's oh, <laughs> it's always just the worst, the worst type of uh, um, scenario then, you walk in on. And then that Starbucks closed at Union Square because they couldn't afford the rent. <laughs> Wait, where was that? I used to work nearby um where was where was the starbucks i think like from where the temple is it's kind of like to the right of it on the following side of union square wait what temple uh the one you worked at at the shul oh thanks for remembering of course (laughs) i remember when we went yeah that was so sweet um i actually just uh i did some decluttering in my uh, library this week and i got rid of a uh, yeah um a stack of books in Hebrew and I posted it to this buy nothing group on Facebook and this this guy without a profile picture shows up in uh, my house and it's like a Hasidic Yemeni guy <laughs> which I was totally surprised that was a constituency that showed up I mean I don't mean to discriminate or whatever it's just like the books I read are you know it like you know it's it's like contemporary liter- literature so like I don't know if it's like salacious it's uh he's trying them to, to- yeah. He's trying to expand his horizons beyond uh, yeah. the Torah. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd be surprised. I think those uh, like those Hasids or like whatever like uh, more moderate versions of are way more like open minded and progressive than we are uh, yeah. like uh, to think. I have this friend that I met at the beach at Jacob Reese Beach. Um, mm-hmm. He's gay. He has this Puerto Rican boyfriend. Uh, they're super nice, but he has like kind of one foot in the community he's Mm -hmm. lebanese like actually from lebanon um and he's part of like this very orthodox community and like 
you know, because you don't kind of connect that with him and what he posts about and his photos. But then it's like every other person that comments or things he shares from family events. It's like everyone's in like large black hats and in black and white. And Mm -hmm. so it's uh, an interesting duality in his life. Maybe it's just the the spring autumn collection of uh, <laughs> Bottega Galliani. <Benetta. laughs> oh my god! You remember his Hasidic uh, era? Yeah, yeah, he had his Hasidic era before his anti-Semitic um, addiction spiral. Honestly, I'm sure it coincided. Yeah, yeah, it was around. I think it was around the same time. Yeah. Anyhow, last time I, uh, next time I run into the Hasidic guy at the gym, I'm definitely showing him a picture of you and telling him you're single and Thanks. are coming to New York State this Thanks. summer. <laughs> New York State. <laughs> He's a Bialystoker sure he like the synagogue. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I'm sure he has family, family or relatives upstate, if not in like, you know, New Jersey or Long Island yeah. or something. We once went uh, upstate on in like uh 4th of july for the weekend to this like village that's called fleischmann's or something and it's like, like the yeast pre- <laughs> like the yeast or like Fle- fleischmann from i guess northern exposure which oh is my that- god i forgot that- about that show <laughs> does that take place in canada or alaska i think it's in alaska okay Featuring, obviously, Aiden from Sex and the City. That's where he's got his uh, big claim uh, to fame. Uh, anyways, we, we celebrated July 4th there over the weekend, and it's like predominantly uh, Orthodox already, mm. even if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm just bringing it, I'm just mentioning it to say that there's like, there's enclaves upstate. True. Well, I'm going to be near Kinderhook. Mm-hmm. In case I have to go to a CVS um, pharmacy to get a top-up. <laughs> um, For what? <laughs> you want to talk about it? Mm, no. But I will okay. say I have my vaccine appointment tomorrow. Congratulations. Thank you. It was... At, at long last. At long last, because last episode... That was the day that I was put on a waiting list. And yeah, then, you were pra- you were practically a woman on the verge of a uh, nervous breakdown, <laughs> or a man, <laughs> or a man. I'm just still referencing that movie. No, I know. Um, but so I was feeling very hopeful, and then. Two days ago, uh, a friend of the pod, Aika, who should be listening now that he has a new phone, um, <laughs> and no case or screen protector. I scold him every time I see him, but one is on its way. Uh, sorry? I said, girl, get a case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be barebacking a brand new iPhone 12. Yeah, exactly. Mini, okay? You're going to get a super, a super bug. <laughs> um. So he said he called a doctor's his doctor's office and asked if they have any extra vac or if he could like get vaccinated. And they're like, "Yeah, come Thursday." <laughs> okay. Um, and then this guy that he's seeing, uh, he called this other doctor I had been to, and they're like, "Yeah, come Thursday." And so Ika was very insistent that I call my doctor again. I kept trying to call like where I'm on this list. 
no one's answering after the sixth call. So I'm like, F this. I am cycling there right now and talking to them. Mm-hmm. So I was like super sweet. I was like, um, yeah, I've just been having some connection issues with my phone and I was cycling by. So I thought I'd just stop in. Sorry, my fax machine <laughs> broke down. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't send you a Morse code. <laughs> basically (laughs) and uh yeah i was just wondering like do you know how long it'll be because friends of mine they've gotten appointments this week in doctor's offices and they check and they're like uh you're past the halfway point on the list um it could take about seven weeks to go through the list but obviously you're not going to take that long i was like okay thanks and i felt really bombed i left and i went and met aika for coffee we walked around and then they called and they're like oh we we think you were just here uh you have an appointment for 8 10 on friday oh my god and i just can't believe it um and just for any listeners out there questioning anything i am on the level three high risk list I am girl. You, you don't have to make any explanations <laughs> or excuses. This is a fucking global I pandemic. It's, an, it's a health crisis and emergency. Um, and I just feel so grateful and relieved, especially because the system just isn't working. I mean, and it's not just here. It's basically everywhere. Um, like the, these letters that have been sent out to people in Germany, you basically, are on a list for various reasons, like a doctor sends in a thing or because of health billing data, because they've determined you're high risk through that. And you have this QR code and then you can make an appointment through that. Um, but like people who are getting the letters now, if you go to the website, you can't get an appointment until like late June or July. So, Wait, so if, if you had to boil it down to like one major thing, would you say it's a supply issue or just a, a general clusterfuck of bureaucracy across the board. I think it's like a supply and clusterfuck. And that's exactly what's been happening in other places too. Because like, for example, uh, in Manitoba now, if you're 40 and above, you can make an appointment at a doctor's office or a pharmacy to get AstraZeneca. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't go to like the, one of the vaccine super sites yet. That right. would That would be like you would have to be on kind of like a different kind of risk list or above a 55, I think currently. And so the people making the vaccine super site appointments that takes way longer than like just going to your doctor's, excuse me, your doctor's office. Yeah. But you would think after a certain point, they would like have figured out the kinks and pace would start like increasingly go up. But like, it just seems like a uh, intentional torture at this point. I think what they'll end up figuring out from all this is I think they had it was all those concerns about like the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines having to be kept at super low temperatures, which then they figured out how to actually deliver it. And, you know, it doesn't need to be minus 80 the whole time. It's just while it's being shipped. It's like the day it gets delivered to a doctor's office from like some central point in the city or whatever. You have all day to work with it. Um, But also they figured out that it doesn't have to be kept as cold as they initially thought. So that changes Mm -hmm. things. Um, But I think going forward, forward, they'll see that the best way to do this is actually just having it 
at tons of smaller points. So like pharmacies, doctor's offices, and, you know, maybe other kind of like medical places or small vaccination clinics, but not like in Winnipeg, for example, it's a city of 700,000 and there's like one super site. I mean, let, let me just say the level of determination that you've exhibited and gumption and tech savvy was that wasn't even enough to like get you a, yeah. uh, get you a shot until like uh, after a month and a half or so of trying really hard. Like I yeah. honestly cannot imagine what it's like for the vast majority of people. Yeah. And that's the thing. And so today I made an Instagram post like basically telling people this and if you need any help or direction like message me because exactly like i have like my german is terrible so that doesn't help but there's enough things i can access in english but it took so much and so much of my like physical time to actually go places in person and talk to people you know because you can't like reach anyone on the phone ever at a any medical office or anything it's always busy or the receptionist isn't getting to the phone Mm mm-hmm so it's just I can't imagine like someone who doesn't have these means to do it like the things they have to go through and they're slipping through the cracks and everything and and it was just like a good example again in life where it's like you just have to be your own advocate unfortunately in all these situations because like no one's looking out for you and you're one of millions in a system and it's like a random algorithm is determining when you are being engaged as like a human and it's just That's like uh, honestly i know we're living through it now but this is just a de facto realization of the worst possible like dystopian nightmare yeah this like uh, you know this really violent bureaucratic sort of mechanism that impedes your your actions in yeah. the time that you most need it yeah and i think that's been a big yeah, it's just about like all this needs to actually be decentralized um, because like what's worked really well in the States is that like you could go to all these different places and get vaccinated. It wasn't just like going to the Javits Center or like, you know, those things. Yeah. But the fact that people could just like go to a CVS or go to a Walgreens and they're just like pumping through people, that makes a big difference. Yeah. And like yesterday, uh, I had lunch at my in-laws and we we uh, got food from Liebman's, that Jewish deli um, across the street. And like, I saw this like note hanging on the entrance, like, with, like taped to the wall, <laughs> basically. It says like, this and that pharmacy has the COVID vaccine, dot, 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 call this number. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's gotten to that point here. Yeah. You can just uh, get it anywhere. But my, my, again, I have to reiterate my life advice right now is don't wait around for anything (laughs) like never, never. But it was like, this really came clear. And this, this was kind of exemplified a few weeks ago when I had my doctor's appointment at a different clinic to first ask about this was when I, uh, got forgotten by them and I sat there for an hour and a half. Mm hmm. And I felt so dejected and sad. And I was just like, yeah. why am I being forgotten? Like, this is like well, this whole system crumbling in this moment. <laughs> right. And well, there's a really... D- yeah, go ahead. No, no. And I was just going to say, and like, so it's just like, say something and do something because like, no one's looking out for you and it's fucked up. Absolutely. Well, there's a really disgusting uh, saying in Hebrew, Hamaiz uh, Matiz, which sort of translates to he who dares uh gets ass 
Hamatiz Matiz. Hamatiz Matiz. It's actually it translates more disgustingly to he who dares ejaculates. Oh my god. That's a literal translation, but uh <laughs> let's just gloss over it now. Oh god. Um yeah. Anyways, just get your shot, come to New York State, I can't come to wait. Come come to Kinderhoken, also known as the birthplace of Martin Van Buren, America's <laughs> first president to have been born on u.s soil you'd be surprised it was the first u.s uh born american president so Um, when did they make it that you had to be born in america to be president just after him around that time or no honestly i think like sometime in like 20th century maybe okay you did pass that citizenship uh exam after all i did actually uh celebrated my three-year anniversary a couple of days ago so i've been oh uh, congratulations i've been a yankee and a gringo for three (laughs) years now and um yeah that's uh that's that well congratulations thank you should we maybe uh talk about some art so the fcc doesn't uh, (laughs) take us off the air so gamma doesn't cancel us oh my god (laughs) Do you have? Uh, do you oh think our God. listeners in Germany have to pay a, a fee to listen to us, or else their their uh, CRT TV set gets taken away in the middle of the night? Probably. All right. So it's everyone's favorite part: our patented hot topics. We invented it, actually. <laughs> um, are you ready, Mir? I am ready. Maybe we should have some like a, a Muzak version of <laughs> Wendy's Hot Topica intro theme. Cue music. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so with a drone on the high line, an artist reemerges from controversy. Sam Durant reveals his first large scale sculpture in the public sphere since the scaffold controversy in Minneapolis. Um and you might know Sam Durant from those amazing lightbox works on the Paula Cooper gallery in Chelsea that say like end white supremacy amongst other statements. Thoughts? Um so first of all, my question is: Is Paul Durant white? Sorry, Sam Durant. <laughs> uh, sorry, Sam. He is because he in in a work about the much slammed scaffold work, uh, he refers to him as himself as a white person. Mm-hmm. Um. So those light box works are indeed indeed very reductionist and silly. They photograph very well um it's kind of uh i mean paul cooper had such an amazing reputation over the years that i feel like even this doesn't like tarnish her on her way out um because she's truly an amazing pioneer and the new york times just like reposted this uh like paul cooper paul cooper's history in images like 20 Mm -hmm. images or so that they had originally published in 2016 and she was she was just an amazing like feminist pioneer basically her husband like essentially didn't want her to uh, have a job so she was like uh okay i kept the job and i dropped the husband yeah. and um okay so just going back to sam durant for a moment uh so sam durant's work a few years back was uh i guess installed over the uh over the gallery's entrance and what did it even say that piece do you remember uh, 
I think it was the one that said end white supremacy, which obviously we agree with the statement. Consider listening. When do we start writing? But like, it's just it's uh, it bothers me to have to verbalize my uh, thoughts on the matter because it's just so incredibly dumb that I feel like just by addressing it, I'm giving it, I'm sort of dignifying it just just by addressing it yeah um do you wanna do you wanna remind the listeners what that uh scaffolding piece controversy was about uh so the scaffold work that was in it was a work 2012 uh which he had presented uh, at documenta 13 in castle germany um at the hague <laughs> oh god <laughs> Edinburgh, amongst other places. And it's a wood and steel sculpture, uh, which basically represents seven historical gallows that were used in U.S. state-sanctioned executions by hangings between 1859 and 2006, uh, which obviously has this connection to racist criminal justice systems, lynchings, mass incarceration, uh, sorry, <laughs> incarceration, uh, capital mm-hmm. punishment, etc., uh, and there was a lot of blowback in the community at the time uh, because people just felt like this wasn't kind of his story or his um, kind of place to be making this work uh, as a white person because it felt kind of just like sensationalistic. And I mean, t- technically speaking, I, I kind of reject the premise of, uh, you know, you're a white artist, stick to white themes, you're a black artist, you know, represent black themes or black issues or whatever. I reject that premise. Having said that, like making work that so clearly is driven by performative guilt, I guess, yeah. to a certain extent, and feels almost like a, a ransom sort of note. Yeah. this type of work to me and uh it just rots the brain these like true truisms or like one-liners uh like even uh even barbara kruger has a bit more style yeah with her one-liners and truisms but like among sam durant's work uh there's a sorry cautious snoring up a storm here at my feet um when do we start rioting consider listening everyone deserves a dream remember in november empathy for everyone the future is female i'm like truly is this a thing you lose sleep over at night do you have no nothing more subtle to sort of uh, convey in your work than these like really reductionist um approaches and for me what kind of really rubs me the wrong way with the work is the context of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're in a blue chip, cal- uh, blue chip gallery in Chelsea, like the vast majority of the clients who are going to be buying this work or engaging with it, even if it's on an institutional level and you consider, you know, who's on the museum boards or the funders privately, things like that. It's like those statements, when do we riot? are completely nothing to do with it's also the biggest eye roll ever i'm just trying to see uh what is what it'd be different if it was like a peer of ours who is like has a show at some like non-profit space and is working with those statements but when you're like obviously a super successful artist in a blue chip context in chelsea 
Or it's like, guess what? Everyone who lives in that area is like a wealth criminal, basically, who is going to buy that work. Like, right. I don't. Maybe and, a dentist is buying it. I don't know. But like, yeah. let's be real. Like, um. So the light box that says "Male Chauvinists Beware" sold for thirty five hundred pounds. Not sure how many years ago, but that seems to me like not to a uh, exorbitant of a uh that's of very a price point. low i like do not believe that <laughs> what was that an auction yeah, that sold or yeah i'm on the phillips website maybe uh, it's just well, that's value why wise. yeah yeah i'm sure yeah it could be more expensive from the gallery and then it doesn't doesn't re- reach a good price at a right but um paul cooper should have known better and does know better and as to his work i will say hard pass from me yeah. All right. And um, so the gavel says next. (laughs) All right. So um, according to our friends at Artnet News, celeb podcaster Russell Tovey's Sotheby's sale generates $8.5 million and fierce competition for young stars. The 10th edition of the sale brought the series highest total to date. The combination of buzzy young artists and the stamp of approval from a celebrity collector has proven to be a winning combination for Sotheby's. The auction house's contemporary curated sale, featuring works chosen by actor, podcast host, and self-proclaimed art geek Russell Tovey, took an $8.5 million, or 6.1 million pounds, the highest total in the category to date. Artists included... Louis Fertino, Amawako Boafo. <laughs> I love that he goes by Louis now and it's no longer Lou. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. Banksy. And, to- and Tovey's favorite, Wolfgang Tillmans. Uh, Tovey's auction is the latest in a series of, uh, in a series that's curated by bold face names such as Ellie Goulding. <laughs> Do you know her? What? Yeah, love me is like that a, you do. Love me, is love that me in, like you do. What is like is boldface in reference to her physiognomy? <laughs> but I don't understand. <laughs> oh I'm honestly god. asking. Oh my god! Wait, I need to get my eucalyptus oils out. <laughs> Um, (laughs) 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 bitch i'm honestly asking what what is this adjective i'm unaware of in this context sorry because i always use it as a joke it's boldface names are like people that appear in these kinds of articles and they get bolded on blog posts and things whatever uh yeah like and virgil abloh virgil abloh is a bold facing because like virgil abloh was in that <laughs> was one of the many guests of that dumb ass fashion show at an after party in berlin oh god <laughs> well newsflash 2007 called it wants its names back like both ellie golding and virgil like it's like retro isn't it crazy how they're trying to engage with a young audience of collectors and it's like so we've chosen ellie golding because <laughs> at least virgil abloh has like loser um thirsty clout chasers like uh all these sharks in berlin um but ellie golding i'm sorry but this whole list is You're like no a Dua higher Lipa. yeah 
I mean, this whole list of artists is like a uh, a higher sort of a, a higher shelf, very low hanging fruit, like the easy yeah. choices, basically. Oh, exactly. And uh, like Damien Hurst, whatever Banksy, okay. <laughs> um wolfgang tillman's sure like all these obvious choices i don't know maybe i maybe i'm just being too cynical about it and it's a blessed initiative because he sort of you know serves as this like uh you know mediator between the general public at large or whatever in this like higher higher culture i don't know um and also it just seems to me that at this point like celebrating like a big auction like revenue generation whatever it's just like it seems like anyone can do it because these auction houses are churning out such an insane profit by like selling everything under the sun that like what are we celebrating exactly (laughs) just just get your work up for auction and everything sells nowadays yeah yeah there's so much money out there there's so much money out there there's more millionaires and billionaires than ever and it's such an easy vehicle for people to launder money or stash their wealth or whatever they need to do. Um, and if you just look at this, um, God, is it Christie's or Sotheby's? The Hong Kong auction that just happened, but where you look at these kind of hot young artists of the moment, like Salman Tour or Avery Singer, and you see works that are kind of like subpar works but still going for like half a million or a million dollars like the salmon tour works and i'm not like being shady or trying to diss his work or anything but it's like a painting from 2012 that doesn't look like any of his works now selling for this huge amount like that's not something that normally happens with auction results right you know we we all have that sort of uh, it crosses our minds when we work in the studio and we like we encounter this like very old work of ours or we like open a, a file cabinet drawer and we are like, Oh, imagining a world where our work sells for like, you know, crazy figures. And you think to yourself, okay, look at this like shitty work on paper that I made yeah, like yeah. seven years ago. I could totally sell it for like $10,000 yeah. or whatever, if the circumstances were right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, but generally like it does, you know, in theory you would think like, Oh, famous artists, anything that, has touched their hand is worth something it's not actually right. true it like really has to meet a lot of criteria and check a lot of boxes in terms of like fitting into the market and their practice and all these things and when this kind of outlier work shows up generally people are not that interested because it'd be like getting an andy warhol and you're like that does not look like an andy warhol that's just like something and random. Also, also case in point uh moma has so many picassos in their collection and they're sort of dis- distributed all over the galleries in different contexts in in the museum. And I want to say seventy percent of the Picassos they have on display are subpar. It's just not good Picassos. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I love Picasso, but there's lesser Picasso and there's better Picasso. And I guess you know they have all their agreements with their benefactors and whatever that like this work or that work has to spend X amount of time shown or whatever to increase its value or whatever to preserve it. But like, I'm sorry, it leads to like a subpar sort of historical survey of works. It's true, um, and I'm sure Picasso also like had the sense and the judgment to say, okay, this is a lesser <laughs> work of yeah. mine. And I wonder what goes through the mind of like. As you said, like artists such as um, Salmon Tour, Avery Singer, who see 
works of theirs that they, you know, let's let's put it mildly, like less connect to, yeah, or feel like they they don't represent them anymore as much. Like, how do they feel when those yeah, works yeah. go for like six figures at an auction? Yeah, no, because we've all like made things that we don't like like in the end or just through the passage of time we're not crazy about yeah um but that's not like something i experience you know it's like if someone has like a work of mine from seven or eight years ago it's like well i just don't see it and it's out of sight out of mind right it hasn't like, like come up at an auction or something so yeah i mean on a personal level i sometimes feel funny when like work of mine from like let's say five six seven years ago is in our collector's house and I'm still in touch with them and like every now and then we talk and they're like, oh, I love the work so much. And I feel bad because I I have such like minimal connection yeah. to that work. It's like an era that's gone by and it's hard for me to connect to it. But clearly there's, you know, a sentimental connection of the collector to the work. Um, I guess maybe what I'm trying to say is that beauty's in the eye of the beholder and maybe those like lesser Rashid Johnson works from 2014 or whatever, the sell for six figures at an auction now are, they mean a lot to whoever shelled yeah. out that crazy amount of money for. Yeah, that's true. All right. Next. Next. Uh, after a year in which fairs got canceled across the country, it's also from Artnet news, our Bible uh, freeze looks like the lone survivor. Come May, the fair owned by Hollywood Behemoth Endeavor will open the first stateside art fair since March 2020 at The Shed, the fancy glass box at um, our favorite development, Hudson Yards. (laughs) Not. (laughs) Uh, Rules for entry are super strict. Vaccine passport or PCR test required for entry. But the proceedings will be dampened a bit by the freeze art uh, by the freeze fair that very much won't happen. The 2021 edition of Freeze Los Angeles, which was set to go down in July, the fair announced the cancellation last week. But sources tell our friend Nate Freeman of Wet Paint uh, <laughs> that the backstory behind the planning of the fair and its eventual collapse is way more convoluted than Freeze leadership let on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Nate Freeman goes on to say that, uh, the whole gambit was set up as an unprecedented kind of art expo, the likes of which have never been pulled off. According to sources, galleries were, uh, exp- expecting right up to the announcements, uh, announcement to stage booths, not in a Hollywood backlot under a tent, but in a series of rented famous modernist houses dotting the city of angels, there would be two galleries per home and fairgoers would zip through ritzy neighborhoods all day uh, by car, I guess, because it's L.A., checking out the booths with the added bonus of real estate porn. Thoughts? Um, oh, God. It just, you know what? It kind of makes me realize that a year has passed, a year and change since everything started, and... Really, not a lot has changed when you come to think of it. Like we're we're talking about all these like novelty concepts or like novelty arrangements for basically old concepts that we could just absolutely not live without. Like art fairs, it's just it's funny to think that we've been through so much 
this past year with the restrictions and mentally and everything. And this is like the hill we were absolutely ready to die on. And this is the thing we absolutely need to go back to an art fair. Yeah. Like I just, I find it interesting and curious. I don't know that I have a thought about like, a, <laughs> you know, an opinion about it, but I just find it funny. Um, yeah. Maybe your thoughts. Sorry. I'm, I'm trying to put together maybe what I, uh, I think just, what uh, think about this. It's funny how people plan these things and then just never think about kind of the viewer or the visitor and their experience. Like, even if I was, you know, one of the like ultra VIPs and I get like the Mercedes Benz shuttle to drive me around or whatever, like, that's so tacky. Yeah, it's tacky. And like, do I actually want to be in a car all day driving around to random houses? Like, like yeah, it would no, be cool and- to see these houses, but it's like, it's such a schlep. <laughs> It is a schlep, and also just to be a, a a part, a coerced part in like a branded experience. That to me is very demeaning. Yeah, um, it's like how they give out uh, you know branded pajamas in <laughs> business class in the Polaris lounge in the Polaris lounge, <laughs> and you're like, wow, what a per- what a perk! And then you're like, oh, but everyone's just walking around in fucking branded pajamas. They look like <laughs> prisoners. <laughs> um. Oh my god! I f- I find the whole thing silly. Um, I I will definitely go to freeze and check it out. Um, when does it? I don't think I've. What's that? When is it again? May, like f- first or second week of May, and then <sighs> the, missing it. Yeah, and then the go- the governor's island thing is happening. The Nada House, which that <sighs> actually seems a little more interesting. And the Mexican gallery where I'm in a group show now has a, uh, has I don't know if you call it a booth, but they have like a section there or something. So check them out. Um, nice. They're called Jano. Jano. I'm probably mispronouncing it. Um, but um, yeah, maybe I'll get us a Zoom recorder and do a one-man. Oh my God, please. Dispatching. Or maybe from, you and uh, David could go. Oh, yeah. That could be funny. And then I'll just, uh, I feel like technically we could figure it out like earpieces headset mics like a britney slash garth brooks headset mic um, oh yeah me what on you an earpiece <laughs> if if you had to a uh make a prediction what type of uh what would be the artistic vibe or like the aesthetic vibe at freeze conceptually or thematically do you think uh do you think it'll change from like uh, previous editions after this past oh year's uh, experience? Uh, on one hand, I feel like nothing will change. It'll just be, mm-hmm. everything will be more of the same. On the other hand, I could see some like really obvious pandemic art happening, you know, right. like, like, cause uh, I mean, let me, let me just remind you for four or five years, we've had like the, uh, bottom of the barrel type of political work that was just in response to the Trump era. Yeah, and that'll be interesting, too, because we haven't fully experienced the now post-Trump era art. Um, because right. it's only been a few months, but there haven't been fairs, and that's when most of those things flow to the surface. Right. And we also didn't really get, like, full closure with uh, Trump leaving office because, you know, the the pandemic sort of, like, took on the baton yeah. of that whole uh, shit show. Yeah, totally. Um, I... I, I think I'm also expecting to see like some uh, quarantine works. Oh my god! 
in response oh to God. that. I just like a John Rathman um, hovel of like garbage. <laughs> yeah. I just don't, don't you think it's interesting that, uh, for example, like after the first world war and the second world war, the whole sort of cultural environment changed so drastically almost as in like a sort of a shell shock sort of reaction to the events that transpired and you had like uh you know from like picasso's guernica to abstract expressionism to what's his face uh giacometti uh, yeah giacometti you mean my slim lithe body Yeah, basically. But, you know, those like those figures were yeah. like, you know, post-war figures and booties like, uh, you know, fiery surfaces. Love and, yeah. Like you had you had like, uh, you know, proper reactions to actual like, global calamities. And it just yeah. feels like this this past year hasn't hasn't quite like hasn't been like good enough of fodder for meaningful change yeah. and aesthetics and uh I and think, approaches i think also uh, like what i try to do with my upcoming show is channeling just a a general emotional state i've had right but not like i am now going to make work about being trapped right. at home you know or you know fa- falling into the trap of the process based sort of reaction to this past year of i'm gonna like uh constrict my practice into this and that yeah. like uh shape and form and it's going to be a big wall text about it and you'll just have to see in it what i tell you there yeah. is in it i think the your approach is is the smart and the subtle way to go about it rather than thanks you know basically like all the shows that we've seen this past year uh of more of the same basically only with like a title slapped on it that's yeah. like made in quarantine like, yeah yeah I don't exactly difference exactly it's been more of the same and then a, a title and a text and like kind of a post-rationalization of something that actually didn't happen all right moving on the internet was captivated by the story of the bumbling couple in seoul who accidentally defaced a canvas said to be worth five hundred thousand dollars out of a mistaken belief that it was a participatory art installation now we know what the artist whose work they defaced thinks about the headline making event with just three brush strokes on my canvas, they have managed to create a planetary buzz. There is strength in that, John One told Vice. By the way, this is from Artnet News. Um, the 57-year-old American street artist who was born John Andrew Perello has carved out a niche for himself by painting abstract expressionist-style graffiti. But now, John One, who lives in France, has found newfound fame because of his uninvited collaborators and the widespread attention their gaffe caused. Some have speculated that all the attention could increase the value of the piece, originally painted at a graffiti art show at the Seoul Art Center in 2016. The work includes an array of painting supplies that John One had used in its creation scattered at the foot of the canvas. Thoughts? Oh God! I'm just looking up the, I'm looking up his uh his oeuvre. Um, do I have to dignify this with my thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what what. It, please put a finger on what makes graffiti art so corny. Is it intentional? What what is it? It's just. It, it almost like veers intentionally into like a corny zone. 
Um, he clearly is referencing, you know, Jackson Pollock's like drip uh, and action painting techniques. But I'm looking up his work and like, with all due respect and everything, first of all, it's not my cup of tea. But uh, I also cannot tell the difference between the like the pre D face and the post D face versions <laughs> of his painting. Um, yeah, it's not like somebody like you know threw gesso at the Mona Lisa or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Also, um, like, um, what were you expecting with all like the paint detritus and like? <laughs> yeah, that's also so tacky. It's lame. That, I'm sorry. That is so. It's it's really lame. Like <laughs> it's 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 basically an invitation to uh, inter intervene. I just feel like this was a staged thing. Like the mall, the artist, in my opinion. Because yeah. there's been so much written about this, and you're like, no one knows who this artist is, no one knows this mall. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And also, if you really want to grab my attention, slash some art fair goer with an exacto knife. Okay. Oh Let's talk then. As witnessed by Robbie Fitzpatrick. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just seeing that John Juan also did a Hennessy collaboration. <laughs> um. So that's that. Well, John One follows in a great uh, line of French artists, such as J.R. Oh, uh, J.R., yeah. I actually did not mind his Madonna photo uh, shoot. No, that's the best thing he's ever done. The Madonna New York Times Magazine photo shoot is, like, actually cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, I wouldn't call it cool. It's clearly no, but, Madonna's clout. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? I love that it's, like, this old image of her that she's, like climbing out of right peeping out I've of seen, herself that yeah, i like i've seen i've seen his like uh ginormous wall-sized works at the brooklyn museum they're <sighs> he had a show I, that, oh wait they do very like populist programming yeah um honestly I, I again i struggle to talk about those things because i'm just scared to dignify it with, <laughs> with an actual <laughs> sort of opinion <laughs> Um, and let me just say, I've been trying to just for shits and giggles book a uh, a slot to go see the uh, Banksy show, and the fucking thing is sold out. Wait, Banksy or Cause? Oh, sorry, Cause. <laughs> My bad. Um, the whole thing is just has Jesus. been booked uh, booked out for like two months now, and there's no going to see it. And like, I don't want to see it that much, that bad. Um, okay, so if anyone I, listening that works for I don't know who's in charge of PR there, Sutton or someone. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure we've burned all those bridges. Yeah. Amir by, can uh, be shitting. <laughs> yeah, I think we've uh, we've shat where we ate with the Brooklyn Museum. We've burned one too many bridges there. It's like uh, we'll never have a show at the world famous Brooklyn Museum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're better off. <laughs> oh, my oh my god! Yeah. Oh, well. Well, that's it. There was, you know, I don't know. Nothing exciting happened this week in the art world. No drama. Nothing, nothing insane. Buzzy. (laughs) Oh, except for, uh, except for a very, uh, a very pertinent and urgent uh, meetup between Kenny Schachter and Jerry Saltz to talk about the, uh, the emergency of the NFT. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and as as I said before, I'm so relieved that like NFT is just so highly contested among either the boomers or the zoomers that it just sort of clears the field for us that we don't have to think about it oh or deal God. with it. 
The uh, Jerry. Like, <laughs> sorry. Continue. No, I'm just saying that like any anything that's like that's the hot topic, the hottest topic for boomers or zoomers. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy it. Keep it to yourselves. Yeah. To each their own. But yeah, Jerry's foaming at the mouth. There's good NFT art. <laughs> who's like who's paying him for uh, to say that? I'm sure his Twitter uh, feed is to a certain extent, uh, you know, uh, bankrolled by someone of interest. Totally. Well, I saw that foundation app. Um, this one that Kenny's on and a bunch of other. What's kind of, that? It's one of the marketplaces where you can bid on NFTs. Oh, um, they're hiring like an outreach person to you know approach artists maybe i should get a job there and be like the insider <laughs> <laughs> also oh. that that picture of jerry saltz and kenny schachter at like an outdoor cafe which i'm unable to identify where there's not not a dollar amount in the world you could pay me to come close to that table <laughs> i mean as i've said i think kenny's hot but jerry is not so also can we stop leaving the house in like sweatpants <laughs> kenny you can do better okay yeah just ask the rich family uh <laughs> oh oh look <laughs> look i'm uh there's there's this really um really important uh to a uh tweet that just came in from jerry saltz dear whoever sent me this thing called a quote-unquote french press a glass thingy a cease and desist <laughs> huge thank you i am not sure what this is or how to use it or how it will make enough iced coffee to go into my big gulp cup but i will now try to figure it out do you buy deli coffee and heat it on stove um yeah somebody sent him a french press and it's like literally a third of the size of his big gulps so that's disgusting and you're gross okay in many ways and with that and that siren coming to now drag you away (laughs) uh whisk me away on the wings of the dove um okay keeping it short this week that's a that's an experiment We're short and sweet. Yeah, we're sweet. we're we're trying new things. Yeah. All right. Alrighty. It was nice chatting with you. Nice chatting with you, Amir. Talk to you next week. Yeah, maybe we'll have our special guest next week. Uh, yes. If they play their cards right. <laughs> <laughs> if we don't cancel them preemptively, or if we don't get canceled. Wait a second. <laughs> the FCC is knocking on my door. Cheers. Bye. Bye.